0: Welcome to the HTW Podcast, where your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Sakudis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about
1: this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas and what they've learned along the way.
0: And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, H2W is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Erica. Zoe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2019. I think we have a great year ahead of us. I'm very excited. I do too. Do you have, I mean...
1: I'm not really doing the resolution thing so much as like, how do I want to feel in the new year? But I think that it's a good time to kind of set some intentions, reflect on what we've learned already. I feel like I learned a lot last year, like even just, you know, obviously starting a podcast, but also I learned a lot from our guests. Like, I think there are some takeaways that I would like to incorporate into my next year going forward.
0: True, true. Our guests have been quite informative. I mean, which is good because that's what... the <laughs> point is (laughs) it's a
1: good thing they're bringing some information
0: we're not learning anything I think we might be doing something wrong true yeah I agree I am I'm not really into resolutions I'm more into um yeah I think that's a good way to think about it just sort of how I want to how I want to feel and how do you want to feel this year
1: I want to feel like I am achieving my highest potential I want to feel like I'm making all of the effort possible in everything I do.
0: That's a good one. Like for right now, I just want to feel like I didn't eat too much cheese. And um,
1: (laughs) well, I hate to break it to you, but you probably did.
0: So we got in like last night from our vacation, which was wonderful, I have to say. But it was, as Chris pointed out, the food was passable and plentiful. (laughs) And (laughs) like any good
1: buffet should offer.
0: Exactly. Hey, it's a trade off. It's a trade off. Speaking of dairy and things, I don't want to do too much of um, for 2019. We had a great conversation with someone who is in support of such diet, yeah, um, specifically a ketoarian diet. Right. Um, so we, we interviewed, we sat down and had a lovely conversation with Dr. Will Cole. He was a wealth of knowledge on this topic.
1: Um, I think. Obviously, when you're talking about New Year's resolutions and you know New Year's in general, everybody's talking about diet and um, the ketogenic diet. I feel like we say keto a lot, and for people who don't know what it is, like then they definitely don't know what it is. Everybody says keto, but the actual diet is the ketogenic diet. It can be pretty extreme, and Will Cole as a functional medicine expert, who actually is kind of cool because he has his practice based in Pittsburgh, but then he also does he does like webcam practice, so he has clients around the world he's all about kind of a modified version of this keto diet, which I think is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. So he's, I mean, unlike keto regular, which is, you know, I mean honestly it's not that dissimilar to the Atkins diet where you're just eating a lot of animal protein. He is of the opinion that you can have your steak and eat some broccoli too. You know, just so he's really big on the vegetarian the veg part and wants to make sure that you're focusing on plant-based foods as well, which is obviously very smart I think. Um it seems it seems to balance out this yeah. way of eating, I think, in a nice way. I think so it's nice just, that there are more options it. for people
1: um, who, you know, are interested in following whatever program it is. But like, if you're not a meat eater, then, you know, you're not going <laughs> to be able to find what works for you on a traditional keto diet. So his book yeah. is Ketotarian and it's like the approach that basically allows vegetarians and vegans to participate in this, uh, this new type. It's not new, but the, you know, this program that everyone's into.
0: He has a lot of information and he does a really good job breaking it down and specifically why a keto slash diet is so therapeutic, especially if you are struggling with chronic illness or autoimmune disease or any other kind of disease or imbalance. It's very, very therapeutic, but questionably sustainable in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I so agree. So let's hear what Will Cole has to say and um, happy new year, y'all. Happy new year. Speaking of therapeutic diets. Yeah, what do you got? One of my favorite things to do as a vegetarian who can't quite participate so fully in a keto world is to drink bone broth bone broth is magic. It's magic elixir. It's elixir. It's not new. It's trending, but
1: it has been around for centuries. I think our friends at Bonafide Provisions are actually kind of crushing it with their product. It's frozen, which is great because anybody who understands bone broth knows that only true bone broth is frozen, and that's how it preserves the nutrients. So whatever you're getting in a box is not the same.
0: Yeah, do not pick up that Tetra Pack. It's a lie. Don't get anything that says bone broth, and then you turn it around, and it's like chicken stock. Just kidding.
1: For It has to be frozen. And because then you get like that gel in it, which is the collagen, which is where all of like the magic happens.
0: Right. Don't be freaked out by that. That is the good stuff. That's the stuff that you want. That's going to make you healthy. The wellness is the gelness. But I think it's actually cool
1: too, because Bonafide Provisions comes in like the little pouch that you can stick from your freezer into your fridge and just leave it there and use it. I mean, I like to drink a little cup of it in the afternoon as kind of like a nice warm beverage that's not, you know, a sweet drink or a coffee or a tea
0: you could just get some ramen or some nice soba noodles or whatever and just throw it in there. And yes. It's- and the other thing that's a fun
1: trick is you can actually just like saute if you're having a totally vegetable-based meal, even if you saute your veggies in it, then you're getting the benefits of, of the collagen and the gelatin and the protein.
0: So the woman who founded it, who I we love, Sharon Brown. She's got an amazing story herself of how she healed her her son's gut basically through bone broth. So it's so therapeutic and it does amazing things for your gut. So if you're struggling with your gut, really try it. It's going to be a miracle. It's going to be a miracle.
1: <laughs> It's a great episode to listen to. You can catch up on the Sharon Brown Bonafide Provisions episode from last year. And then in the meantime, a nice offer for HTW listeners is that you can get 20% off your first order using the code HTW at checkout when you go to bonafideprovisions.com.
0: And they ship everywhere. Just order it online on their website, Bonafide Provisions, and use the code HTW. And now let's go back to the episode.
1: Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Good. Where are you guys based out of?
0: We're in New York. We're in Midtown. Uh, Midtown. We're oh, literally right. yeah.
2: I remember like, this. Yeah.
0: across from Applebee's. Mm-hmm. That's just, right. I like yes. to we use our, it as a landmark. We do our best brainstorming <laughs> at the bees with their $6 lunch, or whatever it is. I don't even know. <laughs> it's a joke. We've never been to the Applebee's across the
2: street. <laughs> Should she see
0: if they want to
1: sponsor us? Applebee? Oh my yes. goodness.
2: I, I haven't been at Applebee's <laughs> since the 90s and I don't have any desire to go back. No, it's really, it's a
1: place where bad things happen to your body. Yeah, exactly. At the bees, <laughs> eating good in the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Um, we are excited to talk to you because I think that this... I mean, you are an expert in functional medicine. You have had your practice for decades at this point, And we would yeah. love to hear a bit about your story and then kind of focus on the work that you're doing specifically with diet. Because I think that in this current climate of wellness conversations, there are just a million different opinions and points of view and plans that one can follow. And there's just so much confusion out there. So we definitely want to kind of drill into some of these areas that you are focusing on specifically with your patients. But uh, we would love to hear from you just what your background is and how you got started in this field.
2: Yeah. So I got into functional medicine. Really, I was interested in wellness that kind of predates functional medicine. I grew up in a household that was Into wellness before it was cool in the 80s in like the countryside of Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh. It definitely wasn't then, nor is it now, a beacon of like wellness. It's not, you know, Abbott Kinney and Dennis Beach, but my parents were into wellness. I was drinking the herbal adaptogenic drinks and sprouted things and organic stuff before uh, it was Instagram cool. And so that was my foundation of learning about food, learning about wellness, what works, what doesn't. Then I was interested for myself. It wasn't just something that my parents, you know, said you have to do as a child, but I owned it for myself.
1: How did they Uh, get into it? Just curious, because this is now a couple of decades back and there were, it was marginalized to say the least. So where, where, where did their interest come from?
2: my dad was in healthcare so it really was his his own uh, passion as well uh, for himself and he was in – i mean this is really funny actually um but he was like into bodybuilding and he was like mr pittsburgh and No 80s. was he, he actually like, mr pittsburgh I thought pittsburgh? every dad just walked around in speedos and was really tan.
0: <laughs> oh my dad. god <laughs> like that's a, awesome a, a
2: bright turquoise speedos Pink speedo.
0: Oh my god! And he would get all oiled up with like baby <laughs> yeah. oil and oh my
2: coconut God. coconut oil. That was normal, and he would just That's practice awesome. in our house, in our living room, and outside by the pool, and that was like normal. He would just uh, practice so, flexing. Yeah, <laughs> all <of> the poses. <laughs> oh this, is, this is an art form for it, to it. That's are amazing. your parents that, still married? Yeah, they are.
0: Oh my god! See if okay, men, <laughs> put on a speedo, <laughs> slather Speedos on some oil. Lose.
2: Let me see if a long marriage. Yeah. Wow. It is. So yeah, so that was where I came from, that type of background. And then I went to an integrative school in Los Angeles uh, called Southern California University of Health Sciences. It's this sort of integrative mecca of you know MDs and DCs and acupuncturists and nurse practitioners and naturopaths, all kind of there learning the modalities, learning about health sciences, and I heard of a guy who had gone to my school. He was older than I was, but his name is Datis Karazian, and even today, he's still one of the kind of founding fathers of functional medicine, and he was talking about this field of healthcare that was everything that I wanted to do, but I didn't have a name for it, and this was a long time ago, and It's really this marrying of the best of Western medicine, which is being evidence-based, running labs, and even in functional medicine, running more comprehensive labs, and then the best of alternative health, which is actually getting somebody healthy and not just masking it with a pharmaceutical drug. Really, this amalgamation of both worlds is what functional medicine is. And now, you know, all these years later, I'm talking to patients around the world. 90% of my patients are in other states and countries where I'm consulting them and giving them a functional medicine perspective on their case. And that's what I live and breathe and do every week. So could you just,
0: by comparison, because I think there's a little bit of confusion around, I think, functional medicine and integrative medicine is kind of a very buzzy word right now. And there are a lot of great doctors emerging in that space. And you just kind of explained it. But so what is the opposite
2: of a functional medicine doctor? Yeah. So if I had to compare and contrast functional medicine with conventional or mainstream medicine, it would be at a few different points. Number one, we interpret labs using a th- thinner reference range in functional medicine. So what that means is like if anybody out there that's listening, they get their basic labs from their PCP or their endocrinologist or whoever, and they're they're saying, hey, here's my number, and then here's this little range of where I should be. Well, that range is not standardized in most cases. Most biomarkers are not standardized. If you go to another lab, you'll see that reference range will vary from lab to lab. It's actually based on a statistical bell curve of the population of that specific lab. And people that typically go to labs aren't the healthiest bunch of people. So there's a lot of people that go to their doctor to say, hey, like, I don't feel good, or I have these symptoms, can you run some labs and these labs come back normal, quote unquote normal, even though they know instinctively, I'm not normal, this is how I am feeling is not normal for me. And they're told things like, you're just depressed, here's an antidepressant, or you're just getting older, you just need to lose weight, all these sort of well-intentioned, reasons as to why somebody could be having symptoms despite quote unquote normal labs. So in functional medicine we're taking people with health problems out of that reference range. And that's that's optimal wellness, that's thriving wellness. And that's a much tighter range within that larger reference range. So we're comparing our patients' numbers to optimal health to give them answers as to why they feel the way that they do. And then we run more comprehensive labs whereas the mainstream model of care is just trained to diagnose a disease and match it with a medication. So they're just running the basic tests to give you the ICD-10 code, the diagnosis code to give you the pharmaceutical drug, because that's the only options that they have for chronic health care, other than obviously surgeries for situations that need surgical intervention. But, for the most part the, in the context of chronic health it's pharmaceuticals right so that's their game it's 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 this medicinal matching game and it works for some people obviously some people are alive because of medications but we just ask the question in functional medicine what is your most effective option that causes you the least amount of side effects and just add, just take that criteria and and add it up to what you're doing. And for a lot of people, medications don't fit that criteria, and that's the only option they're given.
0: So what so are some other at- options? So what are you what are you going to use besides medication? And
2: yeah, so that's really the the heart of what we do is finding out what works for your body and what doesn't, and tailoring healthcare instead of it being this sort of one pill for every uh, you know, for the same ICD-10 code. Let's actually find out what works for your body and what doesn't. So we use lifestyle interventions. Uh, So using food as medicine, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, said thousands of years ago, he said, let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food. So we focus on food specifically. So we're using food. Hey, have more of this, have less of this, because any food, most of my patients eat super clean. They're savvy. They're well read. They know a lot about health, but despite all the good things they're doing, they're still struggling. So we need to move beyond the basics and use advanced food protocols, different um, advanced nutritional protocols to bring about health and herbal botanical medicines, micronutrient uh, medicines and advanced protocols like fasting and stranger things like helminthic therapy and fecal transplants and Mm -hmm. these things that you read and like, oh, that's super weird. But these are really sick people that want to get well. So we move uh, from there to find out what their body needs. And then medications when needed. There's a place for medications as well. Um, But we just want to get them healthy uh, and with the least amount of side effects or no side effects because all all these food, nutritional stuff are really healthy things.
1: Right. But I think it's interesting what you said about these are really sick people that are coming to you but I think that there's also, in my experience at this point now, there's, there's a spectrum. And I think what's interesting about functional medicine is that you don't actually have to be sick to still achieve a better state of wellness than you're already in. I think, I mean, I think you just have to be more aware and awake, I think, because I think this conversation about functional wellness is kind of starting to permeate in a more mass way, which I think is good. But even for me, myself, like you said, a lot of your patients already eat super clean. I consider myself to be somebody who eats quite clean and has a generally very healthy lifestyle. But I was actually shocked to learn, you know, in doing one of those super in-depth blood panels that there were things that actually did need tweaking. And there were things, you know, my sleep was always, has always been an issue for me. My digestive system has always been a little less than optimal. And those are things that I think oftentimes people chalk up to like, oh, I just, you know, I'm stressed, which obviously that's like a whole other conversation. Like just saying I'm stressed is not an excuse. That's actually something that needs addressing. But I think it's important to sort of stress that even people who feel good that don't have the kind of normal symptoms presenting can still benefit from what you're saying, sort of a more thorough look at what's going on in their, you know, on on micro levels with their bloods and some small dietary changes and, you know, herbal protocols can actually make a huge difference because I'm here to say like six weeks after I started all of this, I'm feeling a lot better. And I actually didn't even realize that there was room to feel
0: as be- much better as I do. So I think there are, we are a society of reactors. I mm-hmm. mean, no one is going to like proactively say... Yeah, I feel okay. But something in me says I could probably feel 100%. Right. You know, we're just like, so conditioned to go to the doctor when something's broken or
2: needs to be fixed.
0: And that's the big issue, right? Is there's no prevention.
2: Absolutely. You're right. There is a spectrum. There's a complete spectrum. We have people with full-blown diagnosis, they're going through real health problems. And then there's people that just are in this state of reactivity, this 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 inflammatory reactivity, where they're not necessarily diagnosable, but it's the things like fatigue and brain fog and anxiety and depression and weight gain and all of the hormonal problems, things like that, that are in limbo. They're in sort of this uh, biological purgatory where they're not full blown disease, but they're not living their best life. They're not they're not feeling fantastic, but so many people settle for feeling lousy because they think. Just they look at other people around them and they see everybody's feeling just as lousy as they are. They think they are. But just because something's common doesn't make it normal. And if you look at the statistics, I mean, the the rate of anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog are ubiquitous. But these are things that people shouldn't settle for. These are overcomable, reversible, manageable things, most of the time naturally.
0: So could we talk about what are the main contributors to these very common (laughs) ailments that we've just accepted as truth and
2: reality? Yeah, I think that what when it comes down to it, our there's a mismatch between our genetics and epigenetics or our DNA and the world around us. So our genetics haven't changed research estimates in about 10,000 years. Our genetics haven't changed. There's no major mutations and they're basically the same. So that's what we've evolved to and what the human genome is used to. And then you have this inundation of changes in the human landscape in a very short period of time. Uh, So this mismatch between the world around us and our genetics is really triggering these latent genetic predispositions for problems that were already there, our genetic predispositions for health problems have been there for 10,000 years. But they're being awoken like never before because of the onslaught of these environmental epigenetic triggers, these epigenetic modulators, as they're called. Uh, so it's the, our stress levels are like uh, chronic stress levels, Not, not, I mean, humans are resilient. They've gone through, we've gone through stressful times throughout human existence. But this chronic stress, that's like being chased by a tiger, but there's no tiger, so it's always going. Mm -hmm. So it's impacting inflammation and cortisol levels and brain function. And then obviously our food supply uh, and all the tampering we've done with our food supply as far as uh, hybridization and the spraying of our crops and the soil uh, nutrient depletion and toxicity issues. So since World War II, a lot has changed as far as the amount of toxins in our environment and the subsequent triggering that has in our on our DNA. So those are some of the top ones, I would say toxins, food, and stress. I think those we need to have ones.
0: like a whole episode on, <laughs> on like toxins. Are they real? Right. I if I can't see hear them, am I still getting sick? People have heard that word. And I feel like, you know, we probably had a hand in Serving that up. You're welcome. Up the ladder uh, with Blueprint. <laughs> we were like, you need to do a cleanse. You're full of toxins. But I think yeah. it's become this word that is so vague. And I think people would just say, like, oh, there's no such thing as toxins, or like our bodies are designed to detox naturally, to self cleanse. Right. And that's what our organs are for. I mean, this was, it's so funny because that was the number one pushback we got mm-hmm. from, you know, quote unquote experts or doctors that, the that conventional medical community. Yeah. That would always respond with, you know, we're we are designed to handle these toxins. That is what your body that is what your organs are for. You don't need to do any kind of like dietary, you know, modifying or cleansing or anything, you know. So that to me is just so terrifying. Because mm-hmm. obviously to your point, you're saying that our environment is really just I mean, can we talk about glyphosate for a minute? No, we can't. That's <laughs> no, a whole other can't. show too. That's to say. But I mean, you know, what do you what do you what is your opinion on that?
2: I mean, look, I, I get the point from the academic world or the research world or the conventional world, because I think a lot of times the words detox and toxins are used very, very flippantly and out of context with what actually is does need to happen. And the nuance of this conversation is just. The technical way that they probably wanted to to hear or for people to say is to support your body's natural detoxification pathways. This is not radical stuff. And foods that we eat provide your body cofactors and nutrients. that Those natural pathways that they're talking about, they have to run. And the way that they run is from the foods that we eat. So they're not going to run just without anything. They actually are dependent on nutrients from our food. So Mm -hmm. certainly... Uh, I'm in agreement with the fact that those are natural processes in the body, but how are we going to support them? How are we going to upregulate these healthy detox pathways? Because a lot of times people aren't eating nutrient dense food. Their detox pathways are inhibited because they're nutrient less. They're not satiating the body with the nutrients they need to naturally detoxify.
1: Right. And I think Um, said a different way, like sure, our bodies were designed to naturally go through these processes, but we were also not designed to sit in a car or at a desk (laughs) for 75% of our day and then eat fast food and double cheeseburgers and like there is a little bit of give and take there. And I think, you know, to Zoe's point like that,
2: those types of blanket statements are one side of that conversation. You're right. It is natural process, but we're also not doing things that are natural either. And we're all we're saying in the detox context is give your body what it needs to do what it's designed to do. Right.
1: Which brings us to this whole conversation about diet and kind of specifically, you know, what the type of work that you're doing. So, I mean, keto is kind of the diet on everyone's lips right now. First, it was, you know, it was low fat and then it was low carb and Atkins had its moment, I think, probably probably 20 years ago at this point. And the conversation around raw or veg or flexitarian or paleotarian, whatever, it's, it's all getting very confusing. You tend to focus on keto specifically, is that right? Or do you sort of approach diets from a individual's need point of view?
2: Where, where, where do you come out with this? So as a functional medicine practitioner it's finding out what works for your body and what doesn't and really honing in on that but I I think from a specific what I've seen powerful changes in people's physiology improving labs improving health improving all the things that they're trying to achieve when you talk about this inflammatory spectrum that we've just talked about is the ketogenic diet done in a plant-based way uh, which is why really was the birth of my book ketotarian it's just this alchemy of being the best of plant-based and the best of being a fat adapted or the ketogenic diet. Um, So yeah, I, I, myself, I advocate for myself, but also I've seen what works and what doesn't in thousands of patients over the years. And I've, I think if you do the ketogenic diet, the right way, the clean way and not avoid plant foods, it can be a powerful tool to move the needle in a positive way for one's health.
0: So can you define the difference between just the ketogenic diet and the ketotarian diet?
2: Yeah, so the ketogenic diet, if anybody, and most of your listeners will know this, but when they go on social media and they look at hashtag keto, they're typically going to see like vats of dairy and bacon and this like carnivore conversation that's going on. Uh, And it's anything as long as it's high fat, low carb. So then you get this... The stuff that long-term wellness-wise, a lot of people aren't going to do well with. They'll get this honeymoon period with the conventional ketogenic diet because they're off of you know the garbage. They're off of the junk food, but they Carbage. are then yeah. Oh, like garbage. I've
0: never heard that. Hey, before. that's, that's a, a good one. one. Yeah,
2: it's, it's like a it's like a keto world. Uh, nice slang.
1: pun. Like, well, yeah. Cole, God,
0: I want to hang out with the <laughs> ketos.
1: Um, wait, I have a question though. How is you're saying like on this honeymoon phase, which is this mm-hmm. short period where they first start and get rid of the garbage on this honeymoon? They're obviously losing weight, which is what you're suggesting is is part of why it's. <laughs> It's a romantic experience. But yeah. so how does that differ just so we understand or does it differ from what we knew of this Atkins wave that that <laughs> took place in like the late 90s?
2: And Dr. Atkins, and there's definitely overlap between the world of Atkins and the keto uh, communities. And like many people that are were a part of Dr. Atkins' uh, clinic when he was alive uh, are actually in the ketogenic world now that I know. Um, but it's there's overlap in the sense it's low carb, but that's the commonality. Mm-hmm. It's low carb, they're both low carb. But the specifics, the Dr. Atkins didn't uh, specify high fat, moderate protein, low carb. The ketogenic diet is specific on high fat, moderate protein, not increasing protein to super high for many health reasons, and then lower carbohydrates. So there's some commonalities, but then there's many there's differences as well. And then the end goal for Atkins wasn't necessarily ketosis. So it's not this metabolic state of being nutritional ketosis or a fat burner may happen with somebody in Atkins, but it wasn't being tested for and monitored the way that it is in the ketogenic world, the way that oh, it is today. I
0: totally thought it was. I thought Atkins was striving about, for ketosis. Yeah, I thought it was all about ketosis. So then how did it? how did it actually work? I mean... It wasn't just a low carb diet. It was pretty extreme. I mean, I remember my mom was on it and she was eating a burger once, you know, just the beef actually. And 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 she was taking the onion off. And I just, I don't know why I remember this so vividly. And she's just like, it's weird. She's like, onions, oh, it's too high carb. There are too many. Carbs. Is that true? And like, yeah. And so I, I, I was just like, why? She really cannot deviate from this. Otherwise, she's going to slip out of the state of, well, I thought at the time, like ketosis. So what was the actual. Reason for weight loss in Atkins.
2: Yeah, I think that many of them were in ketosis, and that's really the does is this good for long term wellness? And I think many people that do uh, the Atkins diet even today, they'll pee on the ketone strips, and that is one way that they gauge if they're in ketosis or not. That there are conversations out there. I I, it just wasn't the main objective in uh, being specific in the macronutrients. And I would say if you look at it on face value, you'll see a lot of similarities, the way that both done are done conventionally. The way that the problem that I have with it is depending on lots of meat and lots of dairy for long periods of time isn't the best. It's not great for our health. But let's get the benefits of ketosis in a more sustainable way. Cause look, the research around ketosis is amazing. Uh, the the fact that it can be you can become a fat burner, you can lower inflammation levels, increase mitochondrial function. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that like I geek out about in the functional medicine space, but people are, are now seeing in their real life. But you can do it in a way that's still plan-centric. Um, and you think and that's
0: and that's sustainable, do you think, to be in a state of ketosis long term?
2: Well, the way I Teach in Ketotarian is to do it for eight weeks because that builds metabolic framework and gains metabolic flexibility for you to get off of that sort of volatile blood sugar roller coaster where, you know, people are hangry and irritable and they have to go from meal to meal to maintain their energy. And that's sort of like kindling on a fire. Is you'll get light, but you have to keep refueling often throughout the day. So the log on the fire is ketosis. You've built that over these eight weeks of being plant-based keto. And by this, I mean there's vegan keto options, vegetarian keto really and pescatarian. I mean, I understand. Yeah, that. well, that's okay.
1: Well, I want to, I want to hear about that because that's like people like yeah. me that are like, a yeah. little. I, I, I don't could take meat or leave it. Like I don't, I don't care about it. I eat a little bit of it. If I never had it again, I wouldn't miss it. And well, I do not
0: eat meat. Right. And I'm just like, I can't do this diet. I mean, right. I can't. I, and, and this is coming from a former raw foodist. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, I think that's just my state of mind right now. So I mean, can you give an example? Yeah. So is, can you just give an example that. of like, two days worth of food on a ketotarian
2: diet. Just if I could just clarify something too, at the end of the eight weeks, you can modify it. You can do a cyclical ketotarian approach. You can... Do it seasonally. Some people increase their carbs around workouts to get that extra kindling. So no, I don't think everybody is to be in ketosis forever and ever. Some people prefer it. Their brain works better. Mm-hmm. They maybe have insulin resistance. They do better long-term ketosis. But you can definitely make it your own. But if you built that foundation there, you have the flexibility to increase carbs if you want to, but then go back to your foundation and still in fat-burning state. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear on that. But a basic ketotarian day, um and in the book there's over 40 completely vegan keto uh, recipes and then mm-hmm. the other 40 of uh, those 81 recipes are vegetarian keto and pescatarian keto options.
0: And are some so of the substitutes for the 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 veg and the vegans is it do you use things like tofu or or yeah tempeh you do yeah. okay yeah the
2: clean the, the if someone's going to be completely vegan keto I mean I would say for across the board The plant fats are really I want everybody to be focusing on. So that's olives and olive oil, avocados, avocado oil, coconut, coconut oil, and nuts and seeds. Um, That's all vegan keto fats. And then you can do the vegetarian keto fats with the pasture-raised organic eggs like the egg yolk. And then... Obviously, um, above that, you're going to have like clean protein and that's where the soy comes in. So I recommend for vegan keto people to go organic, non-GMO fermented soy Mm -hmm. like tempeh and natto. Uh, and then lots of greens, which are you know, clean, basically cl- non starchy vegetables, greens, clean protein above the healthy fats. And then moving above that, like slightly less, is going to be sulfur rich vegetables, which you shouldn't avoid. You're just having it less than the greens.
0: Sulfur rich are um, the stinky ones.
2: Yeah, those are like the uh, onions, like your, your oh, poor mom taking the again. onion off of that burger. <laughs> she should have ate that onion. Poor thing. Um, and. <laughs> Cabbage and you know asparagus and Brussels sprouts that increases detox pathways back to detox increasing methylation pathways which is your body's natural detoxification pathway and then above that it's non like uh, low fructose fruits like berries and lemons limes grapefruit things like that but so, in very limited quantities right yeah just small amounts right Uh so eating predominantly plant foods in this plant based keto approach. And then, if you want to be vegetarian, keto, you can, uh, or pescatarian, you can. But I see those as ancillary to plant being plant-based. They are like the condiments. Like if you're having a, a fish, like wild-caught Alaskan, you know, salmon. If you want to have it, you don't have it as your primary base of your plate. You're still very plant-centric, but you can have it if you want to.
0: And what are the big? What are the biggest foods to avoid? I mean, obviously, besides sugar. But what are the sort of the... What are the, the things that people ones, think are healthy? Like, like rice or oatmeal, you know, things like that. Right. Like, oh, these are
1: accepted as yeah. healthy foods.
2: but For the initial eight weeks of going plant-based keto, we're avoiding grains uh, like rice and oatmeal and things like that. We're removing a lot of higher fructose fruits. That's basically it in the real Coffee and alcohol? World. I can have
0: coffee and alcohol?
2: You can have coffee. We allow that. Uh, <laughs> alcohol, I say just for the initial eight weeks. Yeah just to keep it clean. Now, look, I mean, there are low, like certain wines, organic wines can actually enhance ketosis. And that's a whole other It can enhance ketosis. Everybody's listening.
0: It actually increases
2: growth hormones, increases insulin sensitivity for some people. So yeah, I'm not against that, I think. But when you're talking about a health book and keeping people focused for these eight weeks, I want the liver to be as focused on Becoming a fat burner as much as possible. Of course, um, but
0: let's go back to that wine that enhances um, <laughs> ketosis for a moment. What is, I'm being so serious. I really want to know what that
2: is. Yeah. So the mechanism is that these really, uh, and honestly, any diabetic or most diabetics will tell you when they are testing their blood sugar and they have alcohol, like dry alcohol, they are going, they, they see their numbers come down. So most diabetics know this already. What do you mean, dry you te- alcohol? I mean like not the added sugary sweets and things like that. Uh, I'm not a drinker, so I'm really not the best when it comes to like terminology. But (laughs) like a dry wine or like a vodka or these non-sweetened alcohols are, are for many people increased insulin sensitivity, lower insulin levels. So when they measure their glucose or they measure their insulin or they measure their ketones, they see them all improved. Meaning they've lowered their glucose and insulin and increased uh, ketone production in moderation, of course.
0: Right. Well, so just moderation done
2: responsibly, and you do not have to drink wine to be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. But so the point is that dry, drier white or drier wines, dry is the opposite of sweet. That's it. Exactly. That's what I meant. Dry is the
2: opposite of sweet. Sustainable and biodynamic
0: and organic
1: and clean, good quality in the first place. Right.
2: Yeah, there's a brand called and I have no connection with them but well respected in that organic wine world called Dry Farms mm-hmm. oh, Wine. Yeah. And I think Thrive Market has their new wine collection too. Whenever we if people want to enjoy them, you know, that's, that's something they can do.
1: So, okay. So, after this 8-week period, you're able to kind of like play around with it a little bit. But what is what is happening after that initial 8 weeks? What are the primary things that one can expect to experience?
2: So your body will naturally start producing the ketone beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB, and beta-hydroxybutyrate is what all the cool, like sciency stuffs being looked at, um, as well as as far as what it can do on the body. So it enhances fat burning. So it's that log on the fire. You're less hangry. You're not hangry at all, uh, and it can pass through the blood-brain barrier, which means it provides your brain really clean energy so it's great good for it's really good for uh, fatigue and brain fog and cognitive function uh so you know when here people talk about like the bulletproof stuff and on the mct oils that's because these ketones really provide the brain clean fuel it's the ketones and you can do that by being plant-based keto and then it's an epigenetic modulator in the sense that it lowers inflammation levels. So all that inflammatory stuff we just talked about previously, it's an anti-inflammatory that your body naturally produces if you allow it to, uh, is this ketone. So that's what you've done over the eight weeks. And then from there, you can make it your own. You can do, I like a cyclical ketogenic approach where like four to five days you're in ketosis, maybe experimenting with some intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, like you're eating between certain windows. You feel great getting your health goals and then the other two to three days of the week you're moderating your carbs you're increasing fruits increasing sweet potatoes and things like that and that works for most people that are reading ketotarian that's what they choose to do after those initial eight weeks but you can make it your own some people like i said will do better with longer term ketosis to manage their health Mm -hmm. and then another approach is a seasonal approach a seasonal ketotarian approach where during the winter They'll naturally be in more ketosis they're not ha- eating seasonally they're not having fresh fruits and then during the summer they'll have they'll go to the farmers' market and have the fruits and have uh, more starches naturally and that's something that's in more in alignment with many of our ancestors depending mm-hmm. on where we you know came from but uh, it's what humans would have been in times of ketosis for eons right
0: so I just have a question about the ketogenic piece and I know you are supporting Ketotarian, which, I'm assuming, so when I think about ketogenic and eating, you know, just not enough plants and too much protein, um, too much fat, is there a connection between, you know, that and cholesterol? Is that going to like exacerbate uh, someone's cholesterol if they're struggling with it? And two, does it create an acidic environment? I mean, if you're not really having any like alkaline greens, does it throw off your pH?
2: A conventional ketogenic diet, yeah, it does. Uh, And I think avoiding vegetables because you're afraid of the carbs is the wrong way to go about the ketogenic diet. And that's definitely not Mm -hmm. what I advocate for long-term wellness. I think anybody, the body's resilient and you can do anything for a little bit. And I see a place for something even like the carnivore diet. If someone wants to do like really the ultimate elimination diet and go off of everything but meat for a couple of weeks and then reintroduce, (laughs) Like I'm not demonizing anybody. My my primary agenda is what works for your body and what doesn't. Right. I just know that something like the carnivore diet or the conventional ketogenic diet is not good for long-term wellness. No, you'll never uh, poop so,
0: again.
1: <laughs> right, I mean fiber <laughs> is a big question here.
2: Yeah, I agree. It increases acidity in the body and you're avoiding fiber, which is needed for a healthy gut microbiome. And supporting detox pathways. So that is why you need to still be plant centric if you're going to go to the ketogenic diet. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that those are potential problems the way it's done conventionally.
0: Yeah. Which so, is
1: really just further support for this flex sort of ketotarian versus the actual ketogenic because right. you really have to introduce the alkaline greens
0: and to
1: balance out your system as well as letcha poop.
0: Is there also a. A difference between, I mean, does this diet work better for men or for women? I mean, it, or, or is it sort of treating both sexes equally?
2: Well, it, it's it's <laughs> it's good for both. I will just say this, but let me just be specific about that. Is that to lump all women together and say, well, this is good for men or women? It's it's really uh, not that simplistic. No, really. and
0: I don't want to oversimplify. Sorry, let me give you more yeah. context. So I'm asking that because I we recently had a conversation with someone about intermittent fasting. In their opinion, intermittent fasting, and this is very general, but was not ideal for women. And it did not serve women in the same way that it served men. So in terms of like how soon women need to eat in the morning upon waking is, you know, it it, it does something different for men and, and women. And so I'm just wondering if... Because the makeup of our body is different. I mean, we have more fat in our body. The different. hormones are different. So I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously our hormones are are, are very much at play when we're talking about diet, so because men and women have different hormones, I'm just wondering if it is just as good or there are some things that maybe women need to keep in mind or men need to keep in mind.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Really great point. And when you're looking at female hormones, I think when you talk about the ketogenic diet, the ketotarian approach, you don't have to intermittent fast. And, And this is something that I talk about in the book, specifically like what you just said is a whole section in the book, because it's a conversation around intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding. Women have higher levels of a, of, of a protein called Kispeptin. And Kispeptin is higher in women, generally speaking. So higher levels of intermittent fasting can throw off some of their female hormones like estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, things like that. So that's not to say they can't intermittent fast or have time-restricted feeding at all. They typically just have to be lighter on that generally speaking now there are exceptions to that rule just seeing patients that you have then you have the next woman that has insulin resistance for her the benefits of intermittent fasting outweighs the negatives so she uh, has insulin resistance she maybe has pcos or maybe she's an autoimmune condition she actually does better with more intermittent fasting and she sees the net benefit of being actually more into it than the next person and then that could say apply for another guy maybe a a guy will do one guy will do better with more of it one with less so there's some generalities because the higher peptin levels generally speaking for women they should be lighter on intermittent fasting but they still should experiment it and it doesn't mean they can't do it at all there's just start with the beginner ways of doing time-restricted feeding that we talk about in the book, but basically the very simple way of doing it is just eating between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. That's a form of time-restricted feeding. That's allowing fasting from 6 p.m. until the next morning. That's very light, and I think most women could do that. But I agree with you in the sense that more advanced intermittent fasting for women, especially if they're dealing with hormonal imbalances with female hormones, they don't necessarily need to do the more advanced things and then I also would say they don't want to do the advanced things for very long. They need to refeed and nourish their body with good foods and it's about a balance and this brings up the bigger conversation of making sure you're doing these things like fasting with a healthy mindset and mm-hmm. not punishing your body and, and restricting and, and, and making this this torturous thing. Right. You, the intermittent fasting that's right for you is intermittent fasting that you feel great on and if you're doing this and and what I see sometimes is that it's really a form of an eating disorder disguised as a wellness tool, sure. and that's not good. Mm-hmm. And we need to not do anything like that. And what we're talking about in this conversation of ketosis and fasting all needs to be a place of how can I feel great, and I love my body enough to make it feel great. Right. Um, so I think that's important to talk yeah. about here.
1: I would like to switch a little bit and talk more because I think there's been – some discussion, I guess, on this topic about the role of keto in cancer
2: yeah so there there's exciting research on glycolytic cancers basically cancers that get their fuel from sugar and not all cancers are glycolytic and there's so much research being done over the you know another ten years we'll know even more about cancer and the pathogenesis of it and what it, where it gets its fuel and how can different diet interventions improve outcomes? But yeah, there are certain cancers, like brain cancer specifically, that have been shown to have really exciting uh, outcomes in improving health, improving longevity with a ketogenic diet because you're starving it from the sugar that it needs to grow, the cancer cells, and you're providing it clean ketones for fuel instead, which can allow the cancer uh, to improve, the mm-hmm. patient's outcomes to improve.
1: So that's interesting that you say that it, it really has to do with the cancers that fuel off of sugar and not all mm-hmm. are created equal. Because I think, you know, talking to somebody who's going through chemo, there's also often some confusion around what's the best way to eat. On one hand, you have the argument that says, you know, just keep calories in and it doesn't even matter what they are because you really just need to keep your body strong. And on the other hand, you can say, well, no, each type of calorie is but important. That's to-
0: while they're in chemo.
1: Sure, right. But that's I guess that's my question too is that is there a time during your process where you should be focused more on the diet versus just, you know, going through phases where whatever you can consume and keep down is is really the the best play.
2: For sure, it depends on the case, what type of cancer they have, what they're going through. I think having an honest frank uh, conversation with your doctor and maybe getting a functional medicine perspective on it in your specific case, but you know, maybe for some people it's not ketosis that should be the, the goal uh during chemo, but they are still they still should say they they should eat nutrient dense foods, and they just maybe aren't restricting their carbs so much. They're still eating healthy fats. They're eating clean protein. They're eating lots of vegetables, and that's what you can do in this sort of way of eating. You don't have to be in ketosis. You could just be a real food approach during that time to get extra calories in, and then if uh, using ketosis as a tool to improve health long term, it's something that the individual can explore for that.
0: Okay, So I, you probably, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but they, I mean, I think generally, recently, we've been connecting, just as you said, cancer to sugar, that's one contributor. Is there another obvious contributor? Or is that still on the yeah, I think here. it's
2: it's sugar, it's higher insulin levels. If you look at really the heart of what fuels a lot of these cancers, this you know these glycolytic ones especially, it's having blood sugar out of range. It's having insulin high. Uh, oh, but high I'm insulin. talking about
0: like the the non sugar related cancers. So is there like what is the other contributor?
2: It's toxicity it's the environmental exposures that people have and the environmental working group ewg has done amazing research showing the studies and showing the ones that are linked in the medical literature the scientific literature to increasing cancer risks exposure to common environmental toxins so this isn't meant to be hyperbolic or scare people or be this like extremist it's just yes things in our environment Can trigger genetic predispositions for cancer and trigger uh, increased cancer risk as a whole.
0: Right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't like another type of food or, you know, imbalance maybe, you know, going on inside. Yeah.
2: No, I would say things that turn into sugar, sugar Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, toxins are like the top what people would say for that. Got it.
1: So, who is not a good candidate to adopt
2: this type of diet? Somebody that loves bread. be one of them. (laughs) Isn't that everybody? (laughs) (laughs) You can have keto bread. Don't, I'm just kind of being funny, but that, no, some, somebody that really loves Wonder Bread shouldn't do the ketotarian approach. But I mean, (laughs) they have to be honest. Most people can benefit from it. I mean, who couldn't benefit from lower inflammation levels? That's really all we're saying. And the foods that we mentioned earlier are all real foods. It's all very balanced. It's not the extreme Atkins or the extreme. You know, the way that the ketogenic diet is seen on social media, this is quite real foods. So I don't see anybody that wouldn't benefit from this way of eating, this (laughs) plant-centric ketogenic approach. And again, that doesn't mean they have to be in ketosis all the time, but they can experiment with that ketosis and then go off of how they feel. And where's your brain function? Where's your energy levels? These type of things people can assess for themselves.
0: I mean, ketotarian is Pretty darn close to a raw foodist. Yeah. You know, obviously taking out the, the meat and, and cooking some of your vegetables. Grains, but perhaps. yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like really, it's really similar. And mm-hmm. I have to say, like, th- when I was a raw foodist, I've never felt better in my life. <laughs> was, you were also 18. I was, no, I was <laughs> a bit older than that because I could drink. And I did. Um, I was a raw oh, foodist. You didn't drink, to drink. when you were
1: 18. Is that right?
0: <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> no. But yeah, it just—it's interesting how these diets kind of evolve, and and you know, I mean, they're they're only a few degrees away from each That's other, correct. you know. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that when I was it was so extreme, but now it's like keto keto-tarian, but like you know, it's it's not that different. It's not that different.
2: No, I mean, you can obviously have it completely raw, or you can cook them. I mean, right. Obviously, you don't have to be raw, but yeah, it's plant based, and no matter how you want to do it, it's about how can you provide your body clean fuel. And that is uh, primarily from fats and and our brain needs it our hormones need it. Our immune system needs it. And I think that's how you do. Someone can do the raw food diet or the vegan diet. How can you do it for optimal energy? And I would say focusing on healthy plant fats.
1: You're a ketotarian. I'm a ketotarian too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can kids do ketotarian? Yeah, of course Mm -hmm. they can. Sorry, yeah, that's a ridiculous course. question.
2: Yeah, I mean, kids I just can answer. do. It. I mean, look, I would kids are vegetarian. What I would not, do, <laughs> I would not, I wouldn't do for kids is track macros for kids or like make them log foods or make it this sort of arduous thing. That sounds terrible. You should make food fun for yes. everybody, especially kids, especially little girls. Like do not make this this sort of obsessive thing. Right. It's like again, how can we love our body enough to nourish it with good foods? Um and I think that's a good framing for kids, but and and for adults. anybody. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, this is very informative. It is. And it's very,
1: I appreciate that you're really able to break this down into simple terms because, you know, to your point, you said you think a lot of our listeners know a lot, but I, I'm i not convinced that they all are as informed as they kind
0: of perpetrate to be. I think well, this I is think all we, helpful. Yeah. And I think we want to definitely speak to you know, we my want mom. to. We want. I want to speak to my mom, who took her <laughs> onions off her burger. Right, Lisa, put those onions back on. I know. There's no shame, Lisa. You no. did the best you
2: could with the information you had at the time. You know what? It's,
0: hey, it's right. A,
2: yeah, it's a new age now. We can be ketoarian.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's um. It's also just really helpful to get the clarification between Atkins and you know, yeah. our current keto. Yeah, I think that's useful. Um, but thank you so much. You are doing God's work. You are doing amazing things to help
1: break this down for people. And um, we are going to send people to buy your book, Ketotarian. Thank you. Yeah. And you also, I mean, you have articles published often and you, you can be found on social media as well. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, drwillcole.com. We see patients around the world if people want to get a functional medicine on their perspective, but yeah, on Instagram, Twitter, all those, it's just at Dr. Will Cole, D-R Will Cole.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Will
0: Cole.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Very accessible, Dr. Will Cole. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or
0: holler at us on social at htwpodcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.